have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the wonderful and strange Twin Peaks Logcast. I'm Khalil, and with me today is the chowderhead yokel to my hayseed. This had nothing like you could have used so many pie variations right here just because we got to the menu of the pies. But instead you go for chowder. Why? Because you are a chowder headed yokel. <sighs> OK. Well, anyway, uh... <laughs> <laughs> hi, everyone. I died a little there. Forgive me. We are talking today about episode three of season one also known in some circles as Rest in Pain. Now, what circles are these again? Like, uh, is this just fans saying, like, this is what they like the title to be? Different distributors, like Netflix and Wikipedia people and (laughs) all those internet circles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'd like to start us off today with my personal favorite thing from this episode, Mm -hmm. which is uh, just kind of under a a big header I listed as uh, Bobby Christ Superstar. Um, for me, my favorite thing of this episode was Bobby. Oh, uh, and I don't know if that's something that you shared at all. Um, Bobby had a couple moments, uh, a few interesting insights, if anything. So, so there's the, you know, the, the Bobby Christ superstar moment itself where he is standing in front of this little tiny Jesus on the cross. I think it was tiny. And then he was starting to raise his arms and mimic the motion when his dad walks in, we've all had those awkward moments when we're a teenager. We start mimicking the passion of the Christ and then our dad walks in and it's super awkward. Am I right? No. Well, for Bobby, he kind of plays it cool. You know, he he's smoking in the boys room and by boys room, I mean church and by church, I mean location of the funeral of his girlfriend. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, his, his father, to the best of his credit, doesn't slap the cigarette out of his mouth this time. So they have a beautiful conversation in which Bobby is playing with a lighter Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Major Garland Briggs is trying to instill some wisdom. Um, he insists to Bobby that, quote, you will learn to carry on without them. You must learn to carry on without them. And Bobby's just kind of like, I guess, depending on how you read his body language, either not listening or half listening or pretending not to listen or distracted. Overall, he's playing around with his lighter, which has fire as he hovers his hand around the fire to feel the warmth of it. And ah. Uh, And he doesn't seem to really give much of a reaction until his father says, you know, basically, don't be afraid and afraid. Yeah, afraid of the funeral. And Bobby utters the the famous lines, you know, uh, afraid. I'm going to turn it upside down. (laughs) Now, overall, Bobby's reactions to the funeral and the funeral in general was pretty fun and interesting. Uh, Uh, I love most funerals are fun and interesting. mm -hmm. Uh, For one, I'm disappointed that all 51,000 people of Twin Peaks did not show up for this funeral. Yeah, it's almost like the town sign makes the town seem bigger than it actually should be. All I'm saying is that all they needed was 51,000 cast and crew to just like puddle around the small little graveyard space and we'd be good. Uh, But no, uh, I find his speech in the middle of it where he starts like breaking down and freaking out and just like pointing fingers at everyone saying yeah you guys are saying all these lovey dubby things about Laura Palmer but you guys did nothing when she needed help like well furthermore yeah he says you know we all knew that she was in danger like we all knew this no one did anything mm-hmm. so he says you want to know who killed Laura Palmer you did but then he adds we did 
So there's a sense in which Bobby does include himself in that. Yeah, I don't know if he's just out lashing out because of how close he was to Laura. And if this is just a way of him kind of interpreting his pain or if it is very literal. And yes, people were aware of Laura's condition. Uh, unfortunately, it was just a Julius Caesar situation. Everyone in Twin Peaks just stabbed her once in the back until she was just dead. Maybe, uh, maybe. <laughs> um, well, I think Bobby's reactions overall have been kind of curious. In the pilot, you have him um, finding out that his girlfriend was dead and kind of just like stunned. Like, wait, Laura's dead. Mm -hmm. Wait, you think I did it? You think I killed her? What's wrong with you? I loved her and she loved me. And just he starts like freaking out. And it's really unclear, like what his, how he's feeling. He's obviously lashing out kind of angry at the cops. And then he turns his blame on to James. When he gets interrogated, he you know clearly is just obsessed with getting back at James about this. Mm -hmm. And while he does certainly go after James at the funeral, I think this is at least for okay for my viewing the most sincere reaction we've seen from um, Bobby so far. Mm -hmm. In terms of you know whether he was afraid and that's why he you know his father kind of touched on something that actually. Bobby did have a reaction to because he is afraid mm. or he just he just seems against the whole attitude of this funeral. And by that extension, the whole attitude of the town mm. that everyone's acting like Laura's death is so tragic, so, so horrible. Then why didn't anyone do anything about it when she was alive? And the fact that he includes himself in this, I think, again, shows a level of reflection that we haven't seen from this kid the entire show so far. Mm -hmm. No, uh, effectively. I'm just still unsure about all this. It, like, again, Bobby might, himself might be a lashing out for himself, so I can definitively say. Uh, but uh, Laura is such a strange entity. She's right. attracted all sorts of people, even uh, the priest who kind of like goes off to saying tales of how uh, Laura would just come by the church, especially when she was younger. And she, he could even like note down some of her mannerisms. Right. And we don't even know um, at this point what Laura thought of Bobby. Mm -hmm. We we know what, a little bit what she thought of James based on the recording Jacoby plays. Mm -hmm. All we really know about Laura is that she was seeing someone else while seeing Bobby. Yeah. So there's a level of not fully committed to Bobby. But we don't know how close they really were or um, what kind of relationship they had. You know, Bobby says that, you know, save your prayers. Laura would have laughed at them anyway. We don't know for sure what kind of a person Laura was. Um, we know that she did cocaine. That's confirmed now. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we kind of already presumed. We, we presume, but now it is confirmed Now it is by, confirmed by Albert Rosenfeld. Oh, good um, old Rosenfeld. But yeah, uh, before we go into Rosenfeld and all that, um, another person affected by Laura and potential relations uh, was also Dr. Jacoby. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a mild reveal that um, he's, even though he does do uh, what seems to be good work inside of Twin Peaks. Uh, he goes off to see Johnny and right. just like lets him like put the headdress aside in order to. And given what presented. we given what we do know about Twin Peaks, I think mental health specialists are nice to have. Yeah, there's but, a lot of trauma in this town already. Oh yeah, but apparently he doesn't really feel that much for the people of Twin Peaks from mm -hmm. what he claims, and he just goes on to say that Laura was someone who changed that. Uh, Laura's becoming more and more frightening every episode I get to learn more about her. <laughs> well, what I think is really frightening is that Jacoby came to the cemetery at night. Cooper was there. Why was Cooper there? Cooper is everywhere he needs to be. Because, <laughs> like, did he just, like, 
boys, I'll catch up with you later. I smell something in the cemetery. And then he just hiked his way over to the cemetery just in time to catch Jacoby there. Okay, to also be fair, we don't know the structure of the cemetery and how much of uh, Cooper's suspicions really do lead him along this trail. He has some very unorthodox methods. Right, I just think it's really funny. Like, less, less concern that... Jacoby's there at night because mm -hmm. it makes sense. Mm -hmm. More concerned, why is this your stakeout location, Cooper? You just had a really strong suspicion that someone associated with the case might show up at the night of the funeral. Well, that I, I actually that wouldn't be too far off. Especially it wouldn't within 24 be, but hours, uh, especially since. Um, and if we want to jump over to the autopsy, um, we learn that there might be a little bit more intimacy with. Don't Your mention turn. autopsy and intimacy in, like, the same, like, <laughs> ten seconds. But unfortunately, <laughs> that may have been a part of it. Uh, we had, again, confirmed the cocaine that was in, uh, found inside the diary. Uh, Laura was tied up with, an, with two types of twine in two different locations. And uh, soap seemed to have been used at one point, uh, as well as Laura was likely kissed and embraced because the soap residue was found on the back of her neck, almost bringing her in. So... It, I, I know that it's like not exactly a s small list for people who may have been intimate with Laura, but <laughs> who wasn't, honestly, at who this wasn't? point. Um, well, I guess while we're on the subject of the autopsy uh -huh. uh, and Albert, um, there was the altercation that took place between Dr. Hayward and Albert. And then later Truman jumped into the fray oh, yeah. with uh, uh, Ben Horn just kind of in the peripheral. Um what were some thoughts you had on that exchange and whose side are you on in this situation? The thing is, is that the subjective view is like I, I can see like the emotions and how people are reacting. It would likely suck if someone took like a drill and was about to be ready and skewer uh, our Laura into many, many tiny pieces and maybe put her back together again for whatever time it may have took. Um, at, like that, that would be very hurtful for these people who are strangely attached to Laura. I'm still on the edge of Rosenfeld being like, this is an important case. Yeah. Let me do my work. You can bury a body any day. But Cooper is very enamored by Twin Peaks in general, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. But, but, so he's willing to defend uh, these individuals saying like, no, you got to do your job by noon. Then you let them do the little bits and funerals and so on. Yeah, I don't know how long Albert wanted. I don't know if noon cut him off a lot. It seems like Albert was able to get the work done in that time. Like, like we don't know how much it would have been, if you will, if it was just sort of the sake of he was just scraping the surface of this. <laughs> Quite literally, probably scraping. Anyway, continue. <laughs> or uh, if there was something deeper inside this little. I pal. mean, she is filled with secrets. She's yeah. like a pinata. She's like a pinata. Dude, I wonder if someone's ever made a Laura Palmer pinata. Uh huh. Probably. 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 It's full of cherry pie. Just like bleeds red goop out. Anyway. Anyway. Moving on. Um. No, I'm on. I'm on Team Rosenfeld as well. Mm -hmm. I just think it's really weird. Like that. Doctor Hayward, an actual medical doctor, is like trying to get in the way of an autopsy that could like solve a murder case. Mm -hmm. And his only defense is like, this guy doesn't have a heart. It's like, OK, but at least he has a brain. I just uh, I don't understand. I, I kind of understand. But at the same time, when Cooper comes in, I feel like what Cooper did is he like he did it in a firm voice like, Albert, you leave these people alone. OK, he only got until noon. But he basically gave Albert like until noon to do what he wanted. So I find it funny that Dr. Hayward was then like, thank you, Cooper. I was like, all Cooper did was say, Albert, yes, do the thing. 
but he said it in a mean way, so that uh, sent it home. He, he said it uh, and put up a strict timeline. Yeah, so. but it was enough time to get the job done, so... Uh, w what we have from the job. Again, yeah. there may have been more that could have been discovered, it's but true. we don't know. Albert Rosenfield, give him like 30 more minutes, he would have found out who killed Laura Palmer, but <laughs> these yokels over here. Uh, no, it, what are your thoughts it, on Albert overall? Overall, Albert, he is... A view of the outside world going into Twin Peaks, as we've seen from Cooper, uh, as well as some of the residents of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is supposed to be a little bit different right. than the outside world. And, Whereas Albert, um, Albert, I mean, you can run into Alberts everywhere. He's cold and he's objective and he is paneling things like it's overall work and he says things as he sees it. I mean, I was kind of being sarcastic in the sense I think he's just as eccentric as anyone in the town. He is just like as when you consider the room he was in, I would say Albert's more of a standout weirdo than Dr. Hayward. No, but that's the thing. If we consider him as an individual character, yes, he is absolutely a bit strange himself. Uh, but if we just consider him as like a viewpoint for the outside world going into Twin Peaks, uh, something that's far less eccentric and just more by the rules, um, he, he is more. Uh, what would be the word? He, he is more so of a larger entity than he is as an individual. OK, um, I wanted to kind of jump on something that you had brought up earlier that I assumed eventually we have to talk about anyway. Bum, this bum, whole bum. mentality of Twin Peaks being special. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote down a few things on over here. We have Cooper uh, when he's talking to Albert one on one. He says that Twin Peaks has decency, honor and dignity. And he says that here all life matters. Uh -huh. <clears throat> which we then see a scene where he's like, you know, Diane, you know, check on my pension plan, find out, you know, basically look into real estate options, presumably in Twin Peaks. No, he's, he's obviously so enamored, not only with the people, but just with the area. He, he just loves Twin Peaks. He has high claims for the forest area. He has high claims for the people inside of it. He has high claims for the pie that you can find at the double R. And I think that that would be clearly something in Cooper's character but then you have it later with Sheriff Truman talking about the Bookhouse Boys. It reiterates a very similar talking point. So it's not just a Cooper thing. There's a sense among at least a few of the major characters of this sort of specialness. So when he's talking about the Bookhouse Boys, uh, Truman says that Twin Peaks is, quote, a long way from the rest of the world. But he says on the other side of that, then there's this sort of darkness and evil, a presence that this Bookhouse Boys association, which is part law enforcement, part just like rando people in the town, um, uh, has to fight back against that darkness. Yeah. So far, uh, the members that are absolutely confirmed are Truman, Ed, as well as Hawk and either uh, potential members or affiliates being uh what's his name james Hurley. James, james Hurley and joey paulson joey paulson yep and this is the first time that we presume to have seen joe uh joey paulson right we love new characters mm -hmm. um he had no lines he had he didn't but he really sold it by the way he looked he, right he, he sat there with his curly hair inside mm -hmm. of a chair and looked back and forth from, i was convinced back and forth from cooper to uh the frenchman yes um, and like, there's a lot you can dissect with the Bookhouse Boys as a concept that there's this extrajudicial system, basically this vigilante justice going on that the law enforcement actively cooperates with. And then Cooper as an FBI agent also actively cooperates with. And there's like when you see Bernard tied up, there's like this whole like wall of like saws and like pliers and like tool equipment which i understand it's the basement of this place but at next the same to, time next to a big old bookshelf filled with books making the bookhouse boys right but 
would you how would you feel if you were being tied up, gagged, and then behind you is a bunch of weaponry and torture devices on the ready to grab? Sounds like a party to me. And you're being held hostage by two teenagers. Sounds like a party to me. So regardless of the shadiness of the bookhouse itself, just the fact that both Cooper and Truman are so insistent that Twin Peaks is different. So I guess I wanted your thoughts. Do you think they're right? And how I'm looking forward to whatever is going to be revealed about Laura, because overall, that's already the biggest strange tug I've gotten out of um, Twin Peaks. So Laura aside, Laura aside, um, hmm, there's a lot of there's a lot of just like talk that goes a little bit back and forth. We and just strange reactions with individuals mm -hmm. uh as we've seen especially with um laura's father as well as audrey right so because well, i would say bobby's speech at the funeral is in direct contrast to what cooper and truman are trying to say oh yeah they believe that this place is so good it's decent it's honorable there's purity here and then bobby's just pointing at everyone like you're all a bunch of hypocrites who did nothing to save this girl and then you act all sad when she dies save your prayers and it makes me you know I think Bobby would not agree with the idea of it being special, mm -hmm. maybe especially corrupt is what I would say. And mm -hmm. we've also been privy to one eye Jacks and Benjamin Horn and Catherine mm -hmm. and Leo Johnson mm -hmm. and Jacques. And I could keep going. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, is Cooper right? Is Truman right? Or do they have rose colored glasses? I think that this is all perception. This is all subjective matters. I don't think that uh, Twin Peaks can objectively be uh, this strange place. Professor. Yes. Would you like to live in Twin Peaks? No. Why not? Yeah, it just doesn't seem like there's much there. Like, there's a pie place. Mm -hmm. Then there's a lodge in which, like, rich Norwegians can visit. Yeah. And there's a department store that may or may not have a perfume counter. Are you more convinced of that than last time or not? Uh, I don't believe in the perfume counter, and we'll get to that. <laughs> can I just get, like, a, a shirt that's like a sweater that just says, I don't believe in the perfume counter? <laughs> yes, we can. Sure, T-shirts. Yeah, right. Um, Merchandise. But, uh, but I, I'm waiting for the larger bits of strangeness to come through because I am still on this sense of conspiracy that there is this greater... Uh, H.P. Lovecraft horror that lurks in the background. The Bookhouse Boys were uh, like a pre-Stranger Things gang that fought real darkness. I'm waiting for the moment where Sheriff Truman's like, and the original founder of the Bookhouse Boys was Von Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that, too. Um, mainly due to um, just the sense of grief, like... Like just bouncing off from your statement before, like Cooper says the people uh, around here are great and says a lot of good things. Bobby says that and it, it, oh, before we go that far, uh, he implies that the grief for Laura is part of this uh, really close knit community that people care about each other mm -hmm. enough that this is popping out. Uh, Bobby is kind of going out and kind of lashing against them for this sort of potentially faux mm -hmm. care. And there's also the sense that uh, Laura is just a strange entity on her own that brings people in. It's a melding pot of ideas, to say the least, on what exactly happened with Laura Palmer. Well, one quick aside that I had written down is that when Leo Johnson's questioned by Cooper, um, he says that he didn't know Laura Palmer, but then like corrects himself and says, like, of course, I heard of her. Everyone knows Laura Palmer, yeah. which I understand when she's dead it maybe they heard about her that way. But the way he spoke of it when she was alive, she was like a legendary figure. If you didn't know her personally, you knew about her still, mm -hmm. which again, in a town of 51,000 people, quote unquote, 
Um, that's kind of remarkable mm-hmm. for a like a high school whatever whatever she was yeah but <laughs> but that's also leo's testimony I, I hey lee i trust leo you know you trust leo can like i get a sweater literally- can i get a sweater that says uh i don't believe in the perfume counter and then the space below i believe in <laughs> leo johnson um sure um, <laughs> get that man a new pair of shoes <laughs> He might need him after the carving with the knife thing. No, no, Leo, Leo is an interesting figure and we'll bump to Leo, but I don't want to get too far from the perfume counter before we. What perfume counter? Well, I here's never... the thing. Laura. <laughs> it's like, Schrodinger's perfume counter. <laughs> Listen, Laura uh, was claimed to have worked at the perfume counter. This was when uh, Cooper and Audrey were talking to one Correct another. Correct, Amundo. Um, and Ronette was claimed to have worked at the perfume counter, too. Correct. Her parents confirmed it. Audrey is surprised about this, despite the fact that she had a notable perfume that Cooper uh, had a sense, had kind of commented on. Yes. And this is from Horn's department store. Yes. Literally the one that her dad's from. So unless in the small town, she just goes to a separate perfume place or she has it sent to her. I mean, but she knows about Laura. She probably has the means. She probably has Those Norwegians hooked her up before they left. <laughs> She probably has the means. Pretty girl, he has some perfume, and then just she just takes it. She probably has the means, but as far as like she's willing to like go down to the double R and just kind of dance along inside the little cherry pie shop, I don't think that she'd be against like walking into a department store and grabbing some perfume. It still makes that sense of suspicion with the perfume counter with me, uh, as well as how the perfume counter is connected to One-Eyed Jack. Uh, at- sure. At the very least, lightly by statement. Uh, but no, her surprise was the thing that caught me off guard with everything. Hmm. Because, again, if, if she's surprised about that sense, how did she know so much about lore inside of this sake? And again, it's the Horn department store. Right. Where you can get said perfume. Um, And I wanted to also talk a little bit about the Cooper Audrey conversation. So do you mind if I transition to that? No. You Go don't ahead. mind. OK, cool. Um, So with Cooper complimenting her on the perfume. And talking about the way she writes, the downward slant means she's a romantic soul. Mm-hmm. And then we also have just all the body language and the way he looks at her and everything. Mm-hmm. So I want to know how you interpret Cooper's reaction. I think Audrey's is pretty obvious. Audrey's just fallen for the guy, right? But I, I, I do want to throw three possibilities out for Cooper. Go for it. Um, one is that he's fallen for her, that the FBI agent is actually smitten by the high school student. Yeah. Option number two is that he's just actually like ignorantly innocent about the whole thing. And he's just actually complimenting her like, Mm. oh, it smells lovely. Great perfume in the same way he would compliment. Oh, these trees are so nice. Like it doesn't mean anything more. He's just reacting that way. Yeah. And then which I don't really buy. Mm -hmm. And then option three is that he's doing this on purpose to get information out of her and that he knows that the way to approach her is this way. I think it's three as well as a potential four because he... Well, there's a fourth. Oh, yeah. Um, Three is going to be... Literally, he compliments her. She says, no, I'm busy. He's like, no, no, come sit down here. Could you write your name right here? And he compares the handwriting immediately towards the letter. He knows that she is involved with some of the clues, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to, like, get a little bit more information from her for that sake. Uh, I but at the same time, we also know that uh, Cooper likes his coffee black. Right. Uh, And Audrey is not a coffee black type person it would seem uh um, we don't really know how she likes her coffee we know how donna does but not how Audrey we do does. know how donna is but i would argue that uh the statement that she was kind of going off of uh after donna is kind of like a sense of longing like understanding yeah 
He likes his coffee black. Did not like not like a sense of excitement. It's just a mm. sense of like that's there. Like she recognizes. His, so you don't believe be Cooper's actually in love with her. You believe that he's more using. It. I think that that's where number four is going in. Uh, and that's going to be Audrey and Cooper are still somewhat birds of a feather. Uh, they have ways of getting information out. They have ways of speaking to one another and identifying people uh, and having a sense of insight on people. A pulse. Um, that's so, how Audrey kind of recognizes how Cooper likes his coffee black and how he recognizes her feelings, affiliations towards which eventually leads to her handwriting. OK, interesting. So it's not like a romantic thing, but more of like a soul, spiritual, dual persona, <laughs> no, no, no. alter ego. No, no, it's like that <laughs> sense of like the two flirtatious spies, if you will. They are on their own job. They have their own okay. whims, but they aren't someone who will, will be inherent to one another. Okay. I do think it's interesting if we went with the idea of, of the third one that it's a Tony's doing on purpose because I was thinking of how he talked to Bobby. The way he talked to Bobby was so different than how anyone else he's talked to. Yeah. Um, because when he was talking to Bobby earlier, um, he was, uh, how should I put this? He was very forceful. He yeah. was very to the point, very, very brisk and, and I wonder if that was what he was doing with Bobby on purpose, because that's the kind of talk that Bobby would appreciate. Cut the crap, just get to the point. And that he does something very opposite with Audrey, I think, would be an interesting way to make make sense. Yeah, overall, he's a very insightful individual, so he could use these tools for us straight. So uh, I think that we're both leaning on number three more than anything. Sure. Um, but yes, as anything else that you want to imply as far as Cooper goes or his strange mind powers or potentially Audrey's. No, but I assume you do. Oh, actually, no, I think that's, oh. that's as far as we've got with that bit. Um, did you want to talk more about uh, Leo, Leo Johnson? Because we learned some more things um, about Leo. You can go ahead. All right. Uh, well, we know that apparently Leo has a potential crew uh, and two people from the roadhouse. Uh, Ed Pryor uh, seemed to have been drugged while he was trying to go onto a trail um, while also having that little side date with Norma. Uh, just trying to get more of an understanding of what was going on with this whole entire cocaine trade. And uh, during that time, I, I think I already said this with redundancy, he gets drugged during it. And it would seem that it could be connected to either Jacques or Bernard, who works over at the roadhouse. Uh, Bernard, it was the one that was kind of caught inside the... Um, Special little shop with yeah the, the one who was gagged and bound right boys. in front of the saws yep. yes bookhouse uh, Bernard was uh, a janitor there while Jock probably worked the main counter and so mm -hmm. on and even Bernard just kind of like going off on like details saying like okay well why didn't you just ask him here's his shift he's gonna be here tonight uh, even Cooper kind of catches that and says why are you so why are you trying to push us towards this direction when you're just right here mm -hmm. uh, during this time like Jock heads towards the roadhouse, likely for a ship, sees a little red blinker light, likely a little emergency light uh, going off, and then says that Bernard's in trouble. So that seems to be a, a nice little warning light. And he's trying to get Leo to go across the border with him. So I think what this shows is that Leo Johnson is a loyal friend who looks out for the people closest to him. And multicultural, you know, I, he's friends with a French Canadian man. I'm always impressed on how straight of a face you can put onto these words. I, um, I, yeah. Again, for the record, Leo Johnson's terrible. He beats women with soap. I don't support him. At the same time, you gotta see the glimmer of hope. You know, <laughs> Twin Peaks especially, you gotta find the goodness in everything. But yes, uh, as far as it goes, uh, 
Jock is getting impatient. He wants Leo to come to him right away so that they can head straight for the border. Likely, uh, Bernard is just trying to get more people to go towards the roadhouse so he mm. has more chances of escape for himself. Sure. Um, because elsewise, what else is he going to do there? Just sit, admire the saws, look at the books. <laughs> um, otherwise, those three seem to be in cahoots in this little cocaine business. And yeah, I'm interested in seeing how far this little rabbit hole goes. But um, Shelly now we see actually holds a gun. Uh, potentially belonging to Leo, and then kind of like pops it into this little special little compartment, uh, including his bloody shirt and or shirts inside there. It seems that either she's collecting evidence or collecting items for whatever purpose. I don't know what she's going to necessarily do to it unless she's just planning on getting enough evidence. Say cops. Hello, please help. I don't know how far I have to go other than bloody shirt gun. Well, you know, because he has such a good reputation among the community. No one would ever suspect Leo Johnson of wrongdoing. Never, never, ever, ever. (laughs) And we also get another uh, person inside of the double R. Uh, Norma, was it that her husband, Hank? Yes. Uh, was going to be out. Due to outstanding inspirational behavior at the prison. Uh-huh. The, the lawyer even going so far as to say it was inspirational, not only to the guards, but, you know, to, to the prisoners and to the guards as well. Just everyone just thought he was just a great guy. He's always smiles all the time. And you can about imagine he's going to be that way. You know, yeah, there's always. definitely no foreboding idea here of Hank returning from prison. Nope, uh, absolutely not. And I can't wait to see Hank, uh, the new character, being the new Laura of the series in which everyone loves him. <laughs> Everyone's brought it I, up to him. I, I, look forward, I look forward to your interactions with Hank. Good old Hank. He's a good guy. It sounds like a good guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, this, this, well, I think we already covered Hank at this point. Um, that's all we kind of get. And then there's going to, like, Norma is very nonchalant about all this information. Just kind of like saying, like, yeah, yeah, just get on with it. Go ahead. Keep saying your details on this and that. She also has this strange pause at the end uh, of the conversation. I forgot how necessarily it went. Well, the end of the conversation is her making the vague threat that if a man starts advancing to her too much, she just tells him that she has a like uh, a husband in prison for three to five years for manslaughter and that he's going to be coming out soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the veiled threat of like, don't you get near me? I have a dangerous husband. Yeah. Uh, I think that um, the most noble point is, was like productive man of society. Pause real soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like the interaction, but this should make some nice little bits and drama, especially between Ed and Nadine, if you will. Yes. Uh, just because, you know, Ed and Norma's relationship, which turns out it was a past relationship, too. Uh, apparently, Nadine, back in the past, uh, would just watch Ed and Norma uh, just sitting on the bleachers <clears throat> out inside one of the games and just kind of like watch their relationship overall. Well, and she compared herself to a little brown mouse. Like mm-hmm. she felt like this small, insignificant thing looking in on these two, you know, presumably popular mm-hmm. students compared to her and just thinking, you know, but only if he gets to know me. We'll be together forever. And at that, Ed is just the most non-reactive, just, oh, God, why me face? I wouldn't even say it's why me. It's a sense of just being stuck. Who's trapped in prison more, Hank or Ed? Uh, overall, it's hard to say. How, um, how nice does Ed have to be to get out of this prison? I, 
It's not about even being nice. Maybe that was a situation in which he may have gotten into this relationship too, because we even see uh, while they're holding one another and Ed is just this little deadpan face, mm -hmm. just like being held. Uh, James is yeah. heard from outside and even Nadine is just confused by the name James. Just like, even though he lives with them, he lives with them and he seems to be tightly tied to Ed. Yeah. Uh, this might be like, there might be an overall condition with Nadine that uh, yeah. might've been piteous towards Ed. Like, he wants he feels responsible for taking care of her. Uh, there might have been a situation that came up. We I, don't know why she has her iPad. I know last time you were not feeling any remorse or pity for Nadine. You you laughed at her. You scoffed at her. You said, I want nothing but suffering to happen to her. Do you repent? Do you feel some <laughs> humanity toward? Do you have a heart, as Dr. Haywood would say, uh, toward I, Nadine now? I had a heart in the first place. Uh, <laughs> like I said before, uh, it seemed like Nadine was a bit more forceful, a bit more dangerous, especially after breaking the exercise machine in anger against Ed. Um, that's all that we had seen from her. And now we get this more sad tale, if you will, from her, like how she would long and then she eventually got to it. And this little pebble of not knowing James. It's making me wonder how this relationship came to be and how the other one began to stop. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm is I that have, something you want more information on? I have strong feeling where we are going to get because we keep getting more notes of the past um, mm -hmm. from all of this. Um, well, most notably of, the Bookhouse Boys, which seem to have been going on for about 20 years, which I presume may have been close to um, Potentially they're around high school age. I was just going to ask you, in terms of things you hope will get revealed or discussed more, what are some things with backstory on characters or things or places that you would want? Uh, the triangle between Dean, uh, Ed, and Norma. Okay. I'd like to see uh, how that developed and how that changed, uh, just because I feel like there was an instance with Nadine. And you find yourself interested in that plot. I'm interested, yes. Okay. Because it's obvious, it's separate enough from Laura Palmer that I don't know if every viewer of this show would connect to it or not. Mm -hmm. Because it's not the central conflict by any means. No. Um, but that melodrama does work for you. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, I want to see more of the uh, Bob and Mike matters because apparently, like, the, Cooper is convinced that these are separate people and that... Uh, oh, I was thinking of Bobby and Mike again. Okay, we're back, we're back. No, we're back. One-armed man and, yep, gotcha. One-armed man and crazy Bob or Mike. D denim jacket. Denim jacket. Which one? Bob. <laughs> Bob, okay. Yeah. Crazy Bob. Um... I want to see more of them because apparently they were both killers, but one of them wanted okay. to stop the killing and got rid of his arm and the process while the other one just decided to keep on going with the fun process. Any other things from the past you'd want more on? Uh, Bookhouse Boys. Definitely Bookhouse yeah. Boys. Again, uh, past sense. Uh, it's probably going to get weird. So past sense. <laughs> strat well, stranger book, Bookhouse Boys is your entrance into what you're supposing is that Lovecraftian element you're interested in. So, oh, yeah. But when, like no one says like, oh, yeah, you know, there's bad like there's a difference saying like there's bad stuff going on in right. this town and just going to cocaine. No one goes. There's a darkness, a presence. <laughs> there's a presence that for 20 years we've been fighting back against. Like either these people are very poetic and that's where the book element comes into this or <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking of the people that are in it. I'm like, OK, James, he could be poetic. Probably he's a softy. Joey Paulson. I don't know him. He could be poet. He could be a poet for all I know. Hawk. Hawk can be kind of spiritual and poetic. Uh -huh. But then I think of Ed and I'm like, <laughs> I can't imagine Ed writing a poem. <laughs> I love you so much. The gasoline in my heart is a full tank. <laughs> 
What are you talking about? He named his place Gas Farm. He seems like he can be a charmer. He lets himself go when he's around That's with Norma. True. He does. He has multiple women have fell for him. So mm. I suppose that says something, I guess. Um, he just gets really wooden around like Nadine and the overall gas station. He just doesn't seem happy there. Do you mind if I smoothly segue? No. I, I can. I said no. OK. No is yes. I, I do not mind. Okay. Do I mind? No. Okay. So when you're talking about things <laughs> this from is the how past, conversation works. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you're talking about things from the past that you'd want to know more on, yep, back to the past. Would you feel like you'd want to know more about what happened to Andrew Packard? Uh, go on. I because my brain is because Josie was Andrew talking Packard. to Sheriff Truman and insinuated, you know, was Andrew Packard's death an accident? Oh, yes. What yes. might be the more going on there? Yeah, my question was more so who Andrew Packard was. And then they I made remember. out for like 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know that scene in which like she's uh, not only do we see that the uh, one of the ledgers has disappeared. Right. And Catherine knows and she can eavesdrop. Yes. On those little and knows everything that Josie revealed. Like, seriously, man, like I had those things growing up with the little things from top to down. You do not speak openly around those things. Yeah. Uh, but jokes aside. She she's getting into the sense of conspiracy and she's like confiding in Truman saying that, look, like there's these two books, but one has gone missing. Uh, I feel like I'm going to pass away. I don't feel like my husband's death was an accident. And then we just keep on going into that sense of like, I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like I'm like they're going to do the same thing to me. Truman says that that's not going to happen. So I'm excited to see when Josie does kick the bucket. <laughs> it's probably going to happen with the next like if it's not the next episode, it's in the next few. Do you think she's the next character to die? Yes. If someone else dies yes. in the show. Yes. Okay. She is putting a huge target on herself. Is there anyone else you would expect might die soon? Um. God, uh, can't be James or Norma. They've done nothing. <laughs> People that don't do anything don't die. Uh, it just wouldn't feel right. Um, Truman. Uh, no, I think Truman still got some time left. <laughs> <laughs> OK, you've, you've done the Shinigami ideal with your death note and you, you see a few numbers there. We're fine. I don't think that they'll get rid of Cooper anytime soon. Like he would be like a prime suspect for me. But I think that they write him so much of in a fun way and he has his own creative eccentricities that I feel like they want to keep rolling with that. Okay. That's even just inside the writing room. So I don't think he's next. Um, uh, I, I say that we will have a strange turning point in which Leo might die very soon. Okay. Like there, there's going to be a sense of just like, okay, Leo seems to be the most threatening person around here. He's got some of the bigger shading deals. You're saying got he's Coca too Coca powerful to let live. I feel like he is getting, he, he is going to be a bigger linchpin on this mystery. <laughs> Lynch. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You got my pin. Pun. Okay. Linchpin. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I feel like before we can get that full amount of information, he's going to pass. Okay. Beyond that, I don't see anyone else passing anytime soon. Interesting. Um, like Ronette, uh, maybe. But other than that, no. As far as it gets, uh, it looks like Laura's father is doing pretty well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's coping. He's coping. Everyone coping. has their methods. Everyone has their methods. Uh, he just kind of uh, runs and leaps onto the coffin of Laura as she kind of heads down, and the mechanism has a hard time going up and down. Is it Whitney Houston who sang that song that I just want to dance with somebody? Want to feel the heat with somebody? Oh, that's later. Uh, oh, I know. I'm just, I'm just bringing it to mind. Okay, but before we go to that point... <laughs> 
Let's jump back in the coffin. Let's jump back in the grave of my dead daughter. Uh, I find the really good line that comes in comes from her mother that says, don't ruin this too. Yeah. Like is Leland this, has a tendency to ruin moments <laughs> like like is this like a point in which she's referencing the other night in which like she is just like smeared her out? blood on the photograph like, li- literally ruining a photograph or is there something that was lo- like large that we haven't seen okay that effectively Leland was responsible for okay um he, either he, socially or just like we know he's a mess right now mm-hmm. but that's under the extreme circumstances. Yeah, we don't know what he was like prior to that. We get like maybe five minutes of the guy before the he finds out his daughter's dead. Like in the same scene we meet him is where that's revealed. Yeah, don't ruin this too is not a mild line. No, that just kind of passes off. No, this it, it seems like they're having and that, that that's her immediate reaction too. Mm-hmm. not. Are you are you OK? What are you doing? Let's get him out of here. Get, get the frig out of there. No, get it's just like not coffin. this again. <laughs> <laughs> when you're eye rolling at your husband jumping into the grave, there's uh-huh. something else going on. Yeah, and then we see a f- him trying to like dance like to some nice little jazz music uh, while Cooper as well as Hawk are talking about the soul. And he slowly starts freaking out again. And he rapidly starts freaking out again. I don't know how long he's been dancing in that small little corner. So as far as our perception goes, sure. But no, he starts freaking out when they have to take him home. And he's just like begging for someone to dance with him because dancing seemed to have been a big part about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, the need for this lore cocaine is very real. Uh, he's having uh, what what's the name of like you have a need for it, but you can't access it. Withdrawal. Drawback? Withdrawal. He's having lore withdrawals. OK, so I mean, who isn't? Who is? Well, they are having the uh, Donna doesn't seem to be. Donna's doing fine. She's, yeah, she's with her with uh, her best friend's boyfriend. It's okay. good. OK, but how like <laughs> here's the difference. How long have like her parents been inside of Laura's life as opposed to Donna? Well, you know, here's the thing, though. We do know that Donna was incredibly close. Yeah, Donna was incredibly like, close. Lifelong friend, probably. She was. And if you've had like really close friends in school, they can be just as close as your family. They, they can be. But overall, as far as I know, like between like 15 and 18 years uh, of just like being around Laura, like if Laura was considered like a substance, if you will, they've still de facto been with them longer. If we even count a conception, they have been around Laura longer. We're not gonna, please don't talk about the conception of Laura Palmer around me. <laughs> please. No. Uh, Somebody dance with Leland that night. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but regardless, uh, it still makes my brain lean on that sensation that Laura is something special, but more than she should be. Just like Twin Peaks. Just like Lovecraft. Um, on that note, I, I guess this is a great segue. Um, while we see our next shot of Invitation to Love... Mm-hmm. We get our character cast and we find out that one actress plays both Emerald and Jade, who are like twins or whatever. And then the moment we get that, you know, Emerald and Jade moment, uh, who walks through oh, the door? No, no, no. That, better before we do go into that Emerald Jane moment. So uh, love letter, the little soap opera yeah. appears on the screen. Uh, like the father figure, I imagine, inside of the show is just like addressing these uh, twins, if you uh-huh. will. And he's like, oh, and there's uh, Jade. Oh, and Emerald. Yes. Like like almost like passively like yeah. putting that aside. 
it makes my head turn because effectively it's either kind of alluding to this character that suddenly appears, this uh, niece. Because Maddie. Maddie. Niece Maddie uh, coming forward to... Which would make her Laura's cousin. Yep. Okay. Uh, going to Uncle Leland mm-hmm. and just being like, um, hey, I'm here. And then he's just realizing that she's there. Well, and it's again more that meta commentary, right? Like, how seriously are you supposed to take a show that has a soap opera within a soap opera where the idea of two people with the same actress playing two different characters who are related to each other shows up on the TV and then is immediately mirrored in the quote unquote real life of Twin Peaks. Mm. Like the show is. Oh, so Madeline is played by. Yes. Oh, I don't think that's a spoiler because it's in the opening credits that that's who it is. Okay. Um, so just the fact that it is the same actress playing both characters, it's uncanny. <laughs> and the yes. show is drawing attention to the fact that, yes, we are a soap opera. Uh, we are the same thing as what's on TV. Oh, God. Um, I was also kind of like thinking that there might be some sort of like deeper meaning behind it. But I think that I'm completely wrong in this sense. No, I wouldn't rule it off. Uh, effect. We we have seen someone who looks just like Laura Palmer, mm-hmm. and we have seen Laura Palmer, which I still believe Laura Palmer is not dead. She just switched places with this other Laura Palmer and is now working over the one-eyed Jack. Okay, but so Maddie would not be Laura Palmer though. Maddie would just be Maddie would the be cousin. Maddie. Okay, well because he seems to know her outside of the recent events, so yeah, she's no, a no. person. She is a person, and he's embracing her. But it's about the person that's less acknowledged, if you will. Um, like the the jade to the emerald, the, these twins. It makes me almost like. So think, which one's the jade and which one's the emerald? That that's the that's the fun switcheroo. I would assume um, that the jade would be the Laura Palmer who is currently, to your theory, prostituting herself over at the uh, One Eyed Jacks. Hey, if you had to escape people, you go across the border, I guess. And then Emerald, um, the forgotten one, would be Maddie. Mm-hmm. I was thinking more so um, the other. And maybe it's just like she's dressed up and dyed her hair since we last saw her. Like this mm-hmm. might have just been the other Laura Palmer. But uh, I was thinking more so that there could have been like literal twins at one point and just one was kept. OK, like that. That was like something that was she calls him Uncle attention. Leland. Uh, I wasn't thinking about Madeline. At oh, that time. OK. I was okay. thinking about other Laura Palmer. How many Florida. Laura Palmers do you think there are in this? Universe? All of them. <laughs> OK, that's how she that's how she fits into everyone's timeline. Laura is the one. And by one, I mean everyone. Yes. Uh, she is able to go to all these places as well as see these people and get these connections simply because she is everywhere. It's like how many snakes are there in the Metal Gear Solid franchise? Uh, how many Dalai Lamas are there in the Dalai Lama franchise? <laughs> My favorite franchise. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, OK, so overall. Uh, do, do, do. I still got a few more notes if you're running low, but I am currently running low, actually. So you want me to keep going? Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. OK, uh, Coop forgot the name of the killer. Um, I know that like we ended off last time with kind of the expectation that he's going to name the name of the killer. Yes, it can wait. We can wait till morning. It's fine. Then he starts snapping the beat of the music and then flash forward the next day. He's like eagerly telling the dream. It's like, yeah, who killed her? I don't remember that detail, but it's a beautiful day outside. <laughs> yep. No, all you have to do is crack this code, crack this code of just like everything that I had inside my dream, which a few details we did not see, uh, mm-hmm. which may have either been implied. It might be Cooper lying or it might just be something in which was obscured from the audience. Professor, educate us. OK, so I'm going to educate you. 
as soon as I get to the right page. You know, I've been to college, and when I, when I think of my professors, I always think that they would start their lessons in song. <laughs> That's one thing I remember. Crushing student debt and song. Uh, as far as... Do, 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 do. Aha, here we go. Ah. Uh, the added details is that uh, Sarah Palmer had a vision of who killed her daughter, and Hawk had drawn the picture out. Which is not something that happened, mm -hmm. that we saw. And uh, he had gone on a phone call from a man by the name of uh, that from the name of Mike, who had one arm. Yeah, uh, which, which made, we did see. Which, by the way, like, does he like see like we did see. So I like him at, to imagine he was dreaming both sides and not that Mike introduced himself as hello. My name is Mike. I have one arm. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, but the killer's name was also noted as Bob, uh, mm -hmm. not the killer uh, of like Laura Palmer, but just the more so Sarah Palmer's interpretation of the killer. Sure. Um, and they lived above a convenience store and Mike didn't want to kill anymore. So he cut off his own arm and Bob vowed to kill again. So which we knew that he cut his own arm off. We knew about the convenience store, but the interpretation of why and uh, is different here. And the note of like how Mike shot him. Right. Yep. Mike shot Bob. Uh, actually, yep. Yeah, Mike shot Bob. Which, again, some of these details, uh, Cooper's and kind of it seems like he's interpreting because what we heard before was that he saw the face of God and cut his own arm off, which I guess means like you could interpret that to be repenting from killing people. Yeah, I would hope that if you saw the face of God, it'd be telling you not to murder people. <laughs> if the face of God is telling you to kill people, you might want to find a new religion. <laughs> Please stop <laughs> your murder around you. And the only way to truly repent is to lop off that arm of yours. I mean, can it at least be the left arm? Yeah, hopefully it's not as dominant. <laughs> but uh, apparently it's a different mic and different. Wait, but wouldn't that just make it still able to kill if it's your dominant hand like that? I imagine that being your stabbing hand. Well, it'd just be inconvenient. It'd be hand. more work than it's worth to kill someone at that point. What if his modus operandi was to strangle with both hands? <laughs> He can't do that anymore. <laughs> He's got to have a good grip. But yeah, apparently this is known as different Mike, different Bob. Yes. Because we do have a Bob and a Mike. Yes. Uh, being Snake and Bobby. And, and, and Cooper acknowledges that weird confusion. Yeah, but he says different Mike, different Bob. If this is implied, if this is known by him, that is unknown. Well, then he also, I don't know if I'm jumping to something you already had on there, but toward the end of it, well, I don't remember if it was at the end, I think it was actually the beginning. He's talking about the dream. He says, I had a dream last night and you were in it and you were in it to Truman and Lucy, who were certainly not in the dream we saw. Yeah. And even with the details he was recapping, Truman and Lucy weren't even noted. Like he no. says that they're there. They're there, which is a very Wizard of Oz thing to say. Mm -hmm. And I know that from other things with Lynch. He flippin' loves Wizard of Oz. And I mean, who doesn't? It's a great mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. If you don't like The Wizard of Oz, I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. um, it's a good film. But it's it's interesting that he would bring up The Wizard of Oz in this moment of, like, this dream that you were here and you were here. But in The Wizard of Oz, they actually were there in the dream. Yeah. They had representations. If we take it literally, that would mean that Cooper thinks that Lucy and Sheriff Truman were represented in the dream, which means that one of them has to be the one-armed man, and I hope it's not Lucy. Or a, <laughs> or, or they're involved in the uh, situation in which, like, there's a whisper from Laura, and he does say that he forgot. Uh, and it might be a sense that, like, one of those two people might be involved with the death of Laura Palmer, and is just kind of, like, leading I, I think the most likely thing would be that they were in the room when Hawk drew the sketch, mm -hmm. because... That could be it. That, but that wasn't mentioned. Nope. And it wasn't shown. So really weird little anecdote that feels like it's really just there for the Wizard of Oz effect. Uh-huh. Um, cool. Yeah. 
Um, I only have one more thing in my list. Go for it. But it's kind of a well, okay, obviously we have our, end, our ending stuff. Yeah. But I have kind of a, a, a biggie. Okay. Mm-hmm. So during this episode, in the conversation, Audrey talks about how she really wasn't friends with Laura Palmer, but she knew her better than the rest. Yep. And I, I, I wanted us to talk a little bit about who knew Laura Palmer the best. Okay. Um, I wrote down some possibilities. By no means are you limited to these. Okay. But I wrote down, obviously, Audrey, because she's the one that made the claim. Mm-hmm. Um, Donna and James, for reasons that are probably self-evident. Mm-hmm. Bobby, mm-hmm. her parents, uh, Leland and Sarah. And then I put Dr. Jacoby down. Okay. Um, if there are other people you want to throw in, you can. I just don't think that we believe that Norma or uh, Shelly or even for that matter, um, uh, Johnny Horn. I don't think any of them are in the running. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have enough evidence to believe they're in the running. So trying to just limit it to the people we have our most confidence in. I put Audrey, Donna, James, Bobby, the parents and Jacoby. Who do you think knew Laura Palmer the best? The great Lord Cthulhu. Professor. <laughs> yes. Other than, okay, beings on Earth, <laughs> non-supernatural entities. Well, uh, okay, the, uh, the second part fits because Cthulhu could uh, be reigned within, like, uh, the... Earth Outside itself. of the dark presences that the Bookhouse boys are fighting, just the people in the town who knew her the best. Okay, um, as far as those people that mm-hmm. we have listed or people outside of that, I still think Audrey is a good candidate. Okay. The, big, the biggest thing about it is that, sure, uh, Dr. Jacoby is a therapist. He probably heard a lot about Laura Palmer. I feel he is still blinded by the sense of longing and love that he has for Laura. Okay. Uh, Bobby, uh, overall, still has, I think, is a very emotional individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might kind of give him a wild ride through his emotions. Sure. Um, so I don't know if I fully trust his senses or if it's going to be a bit more hyperbole or how much he does really know about Laura or how much he loves it. But again, it's that sense of longing and love that I feel can blind people. Uh, James, we know that he has had a relation, but we do also know and not that for very long. And Laura has talked smack behind his back. Right. Um, I, by the way, can we just acknowledge the, the moment where he runs into the house dramatically kind of just after his motorcycle and yeah, Nate's the moment where Nadine is like, who is that outside? So he just shows up and then Ed's like, oh, we're going to leave here in a moment. So we're not late. And James is like, I'm not going. And I then can't go. And then he just immediately leaves. So like he pulled his motorcycle up to Ed to come inside for 10 seconds, say, I'm not going to the funeral and then leave. And then he went to the funeral. <laughs> and then he went to the funeral. <laughs> God, James. Uh, yeah. Classic. Like, who else was listed there? Norma or? Uh, I put down, um, parents. Parents? Uh, parents, uh, closest biologically, but I do not, but they are in a very emotional state at this point, so can't get any clean information out of that other than they were closer. Do you you get the sense from the way that the parents act that they knew Laura did cocaine? No. And obviously the sheriff's immediate reaction was like, no, Laura would never do that. So I think most people in the town probably didn't suspect that. Yeah. Um, Last one we had done talk about is Donna. Uh, Which one is Donna again? The best friend. Oh, God, I mixed up her name. Uh, Okay, so uh, Donna, uh, same thing with James. Don't have much information. They are like bland characters. They stand around. They say a few things. They love for each other. Uh, All I get is that one time she danced around with Laura. And she knows some things. Okay. So, so of the people, you would still say Audrey. Audrey, yeah, because she is not 
she's not clouded with um, this sort of closeness everyone else seems to have. Okay. Uh, as far as we can see right so now. So objective distance. She, she has an objective distance and knowledge over Laura. Is, is there anyone you would add to this list I didn't give you? Anyone else you think really knew her? Leo does claim to say that she was wild to Bobby, and maybe I'll tell you about it someday. So Leo does claim some knowledge. Um, I don't know if you believe Leo knows her better than Bobby did. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, what is the... Um, like that one guy's name who is like brother of horn who may be a horn himself uh joey what johnny is johnny. the one who has emotional issues like no no i'm talking about the brother uh jerry jerry there you go uh jerry seemed really disappointed while eating his yes sandwich. yeah and more about the norwegians leaving than anything else but yeah um jokes aside though no i think that that's a pretty good list on people who could potentially close to laura palmer Okay. whoever and wherever she may be. So my last question that I have, and I presume you are finished with your questions. Uh, yeah, I'm good. My final question is to you. Who killed Laura Palmer? Uh, my new guess was overall a cocaine. Cocaine killed Laura Palmer. Uh, it was the deciding factor in it all. So um, cocaine tied her wrists and gave her a kiss after washing its own hands. Yes. Okay. Serious answer. That's not cocaine. Cocaine is a serious epidemic. Cocaine does kill many of our youth, but not cocaine related. Who killed Laura Balmer? I was good with that send off. I'm not. (laughs) I'm bringing it back. So thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Cocaine killed. No, who killed Laura Palmer? You can't just Uh, dodge your way out of this. It takes two to podcast. It it was a great time that we celebrated today. Uh, Just so you know, we do have a few things such as our Gmail uh, as well as. No, no, okay. No, 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 no. Who killed Laura Palmer? I'm not relenting. A justice must be done. <laughs> Our Twitter goes by Snake Eye Dreams. You can email. No, it us does at... not. It goes at Snake Eye Dreams one. There we I go. had to Thank put you. a one at the end. It's the numeral one. Snake Eye Dreams one. So, so between last time and this time, we have a Twitter account now. I don't know what to do with it, but it's at Snake Eye Dreams one. And then our email is the same thing without the one. So snakeeyedreams at gmail.com. And if, you, if you're somehow, if you're hearing this right now, not on YouTube, we do have a YouTube channel where we upload uh, video essay content. Uh, as of this recording, we have one video up, which is an analysis on the anime Revolutionary Girl Lieutenant. Our next video is probably going to be Who Killed Laura Palmer? <laughs> Wow, what a convenient segue. Uh, what do you think, Unplugged Professor? Man, uh, save it for the video. Uh... <laughs> That might not actually be a video, but overall, it's not going to be a video. It's probably not be a video. Uh, <laughs> I just want answers. The people want answers. I gave the answers. Have a fantastic evening. And what's the ending note? Oh man. Oh.